0: Good morning, church. So good to see everybody here today. Oh, it's good. I've met a lot of new people. You know, if you get a chance before you leave, try not to just bolt out the door. Find someone you don't know and introduce them. Introduce yourself to them, even if it could be the for the third or fourth time. It's okay. We all forget, right? But anyway, there's some there's some great people here today. So get to know each other. Um, Uh, My name is Scott, I'm the uh, senior minister for those of you who may be visiting and for those of you watching online and this is just a great church family and uh, um, I'm just very privileged to be here. I wanted just to begin right, just get right into it today. So let me pray and then we're going to get right into this because I think there's some things God wants to teach us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with the words that are spoken, Lord be with the ears that are listening. I know that there are lots of things that are vying for our attention even here this morning. Uh, in, in a place where we've willingly come and I pray this morning that you would allow us the opportunity to inhabit sacred space here space that that we can just rest for a moment but also a place where we can come expecting you to do something amazing help us not to sell you short help us to be expectant and to realize that the creator of the universe is in our midst, in Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of 1800, the 1800s, there was a movement, Christian movement underway. Uh, A few Christian leaders from various different groups got together because they had all become disillusioned with how organized religion had evolved. So they decided to change some things. Maybe get back to basics. You know, it had all become very exclusive. If you had tried to to go to church, if you had tried to kind of be involved, it had become very exclusive between all the different groups, you know, the presbyterians, the baptists, the methodists and the numerous other groups that were present. It had you know, there were so many bylaws, so many creeds, so many uh, laws and agreements, it had become so complicated, especially for those people who just simply wanted to experience God, to see God, those people looking for God. So this small group, they wanted to try to get back to the basics, and, and maybe they, they thought, what if we could get back to the way it was in those early days with those very first believers in Jesus? What might that do now the movement had an explosive beginning in a little town called cane ridge and what they tried to do this is in kentucky they just decided to hold a revival do you remember those they tried to hold a revival so they sent word out hoping that a couple of hundred people might show up back then they didn't really have a whole lot of tele i mean they had telegraph but they didn't really do it that way it was just mainly word of mouth and what they soon discovered is that once word got out it spread quickly and it spread far and it spread wide and instead of hundreds they had thousands in fact some say tens of thousands but more importantly God showed up people were struck to the core one story that's really interesting talks of two young girls who were experiencing this with their families and One was so moved that she fully embraced Jesus, believed with everything she had, and she felt different, and she looked to her friend who was right next uh, next to her and said this right here. She says, oh, you little sinner, come to Christ. Take hold of his promise. Trust in him. He is able to save to the uttermost. Oh, I have found peace in my soul. Oh, the precious Savior, come just as you are. He will take away the stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. You can't make yourself any better. Just give up your heart to Christ now. You are not a greater sinner than me. You need not wait another moment. And the story goes, at that moment, the girl's countenance changed as if she she had dropped something heavy. And both of these girls rose to follow Jesus with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. The Spirit was released on this place. Now, these weren't highly trained church planters back in the early 1800s. They were leaders who loved God, and they wanted to help people find and experience God for themselves. And what we see in this story is a group of thousands of people desperately looking for God, looking for some sort of redemption, forgiveness, satisfaction, help, hope. And then what we see is that those people, they, they were suddenly introduced to God who was desperately looking for them too. And, and the story goes that some, they were, they were just so amazed, they were just struck silent. Some fainted, some passed out, some tried to run. <laughs> and it's interesting, the stories are some people ran so fast because they were terrified their sins were going to be exposed. And for those people who ran, they were stopped, it says, and it says that they confessed Anyway, and found redemption. Now, I start with a story because I believe it shows us a relatively modern-day example of what happens when the Spirit of God moves among his people. Of course, we have a biblical example of this in Acts chapter, well, in Acts, period, but Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Uh, This early moment, whenever God, uh, his Spirit moved among his people, and moved them to do great acts of courage, acts of boldness, uh, speak with words of wisdom that were far beyond their learning. It's a story I believe it's worth remembering. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this early church movement, we're going to be looking at the message, we're going to be looking at the culture, we're going to be looking at the movement and the people of the early church so that we can be reminded of what God is capable of doing in the hearts of people who are expectant, obedient, and willing. Amen? So every movement starts with a message. Every movement starts with a message. Acts chapter 1, it puts us right in the middle of something that has been going on. This is a continuation of Luke, by the way. Uh, So if you want to read Luke, read Luke and Acts together. Uh, Acts could be the sequel. You know, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is that little turning point where where Luke and Acts kind of divide. But it puts us right in the middle of Jesus' final conversation with his followers. He's already risen from the dead, and he's talking with his group of people. And they're having some sort of conversation whenever they ask him, "Uh, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So right here, Jesus tells them what to expect. The Spirit is going to come upon them. And if you're a student of Old Testament scripture, that didn't happen too often in the Old Testament. It only happened in key moments with, with, with the leaders of God's people. Happened like with Saul and with David and some of the judges where the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people and they would be moved to do mighty things, miraculous things. He said the Spirit will come upon you too. Whoa. Then he gave them this mission to be Witnesses. Of Jesus, He said, be witnesses, but not just in Jerusalem, also in Judea, which is okay because Judea is, you know, it's a little deserty, but it's okay, it's good, we like the people for the most part, uh, but Samaria, he said they were to be witnesses to those people, the ones we always talk bad about, the ones they know we talk bad about. The ones who don't really worship the same God that we do. The ones whose way of life is just simply offensive. And they're not that nice. Judea, good, we can handle that. But Samaria, eh, that's going to be a challenge. But also, he doesn't end there. He says, to the ends of the earth. The scope has just gotten way bigger. But this was the mission of the early church, to be the witnesses, not only of who Jesus was or what he did, but what he would continue to do with everyone who just might believe. So Jesus gives him this mission, and then he leaves. And the scripture goes on to say that two men in white say to this group of people who are just... You know, looking up, you know, he tells them what my wife sometimes tells me. What are you doing just standing there? Come on, let's go. Got some things to do. <laughs> I don't know what translation that was, but it's in there similarly. I'm sure as they walked back into Jerusalem, they were probably filled with a lot of, a lot of questions. Trying to process everything that just happened. And As they, as they go to this upper room and they just waited. And there were a lot of people in that upper room. I don't know how big this room was, but all in all, there's probably over a hundred of them. Most likely, they were all anticipating something to come because of what Jesus had just said. They were probably a little excited, nervous, a little uh, intimidated. But I think they were expectant. They were expecting something was going to happen. Now I can understand three of these things at least. I can understand being a little excited, intimidated, and maybe unsure, but but I I have had to ask myself this question. How often do I really expect God to do something amazing? How often do we expect God to do something amazing? And it's funny because sometimes when we pray and God answers a prayer, we're surprised. Oh. Great. But are we do we walk into this room together expectant? I think it's important to remember that those first disciples of Jesus did not have the New Testament. <laughs> they didn't know the end of the story. They hadn't read Revelation because they didn't have it yet. They were kind of, you know, figuring it out as they went along. They had the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Those were their scriptures. They didn't know the end of the story, but I guess just like us, we're trying to figure it all out as we go along too, right? But what they did have was faith and hope. Faith that everything that they knew and had seen and had experienced and that Jesus told them it was true. They had hope that there, was, that there was more because Jesus says he was going to prepare a place for them there are certain things they remembered and they clung to. But this little band of believers, it's like they were this first church and they weren't quite sure what what was coming. Now we used to sing a song uh, called It Only Takes a Spark. We all remember that, don't we? I'm not going to make you sing it. It was a camp song. And I'd usually... You know, sing it in those moments whenever everybody's tired, you know, it's around a campfire or emotions are really high and everyone starts tearing up. And, you know, they lock arms and you start doing one of these things. And at least that's the way it was in my, you know, youth group. And that's the song. But it's as much as I like to make fun of it. It's true. Small sparks have changed the landscape of many, many places. Small sparks have changed the landscape of Colorado, California, recently Hawaii, even in our backyard, right? in Christoval, Abilene. And what's scary is that once little fires start and once they start to spread, sometimes it's impossible to keep them from spreading. In that small upper room, in the midst of people who were anxious and and unsure but hopeful, the Spirit of God lit the spark. And this spark ignited this first church, this first group of people, over a hundred of them, lit by the spark of God. And it goes on to say in, in Acts 2, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And with that, the message was loosed upon the world. Now, at this point in the story, uh, it's Pentecost, but, but it's whenever all, a lot of Jews come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Shavuot, which is in, uh, in, in memory of whenever God revealed his spoken law and word to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's whenever God gave his word to his people. They're celebrating. And here it is is again. In this moment, God giving his message, but not just to one man, but to the world. And the audience that he gave it to was the very first church. These were people who were Jews who were already headed to the temple. You know, he, he gives his gives his word once again, but to Jews heading to the temple to celebrate. So whenever we were in Israel, I recorded this and I thought it might help give us a little bit of an image. What's amazing is that there were people going to encounter God and catching a glimpse of God in this temple, and all of a sudden, Peter's sharing this revelation from God himself. The Spirit of God is through Peter speaking the message of hope. And love and people were coming to encounter God, but what they heard was this message that that God was going to pour out a spirit on his sons and his daughters uh, reminiscent of Joel prophesying years and years and years earlier that justice was coming and that everyone who called on the name of the Lord would be saved. They would be freed, they would be heard. They would be safe and secure in the hand of God. He was saying God is tired of waiting for us to uh, you know, find him, so what he did is he came to us. God knew that we could not make it to him, so he came to us. He knew we couldn't make it to him. He knew we would never be able to make ourselves clean enough, so what does he do? He comes to make us clean. He knew our patterns of sin and addiction and death, so he came to rescue us. To break the pattern, he knew of how, how sin had gotten hold of so many of us so deeply that we could never get away on our own. So he came to release us from that. He knew our human abilities were good, but they were limited. So he knew and he came to give us his spirit so that we could do the impossible. He came through Jesus so that we could return to God through Jesus. And this connection was made available to everyone, everywhere, regardless of of race or creed or nationality or color. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? This is huge. You didn't have to be born a certain way. You didn't have to be born into a certain nationality. You didn't have to be born into a certain country. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those to first hear and receive this message were already expectant and hopeful to catch a glimpse of God as they were hopefully just making their way to the temple, singing the songs. But they found much more than they bargained for. What do we expect when we gather together? Could we be so bold to expect that God would do something amazing here in our midst in these old pews? Could we be so bold? Now, from there, the message spread, and we know 3,000 were added to the church on that first day. In those mikvahs, there's probably 100, 100, 200 mikvahs there, baptistries, and they were probably baptized right then and there. It says the audience was cut to the heart, and they wanted to know how they could respond. And Peter just says, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin, from your bad choices. He says, yes, repent. What if I make bad choices tomorrow? I'm sure they asked. Well, then repent tomorrow. Repentance is not just a one time thing. You're ongoing repenting. Walk away from the things that are leading you from everything good. Turn around and go towards God. Peter said, Repent, and then he says, Be baptized. This is your response. This is what Jesus did. The only one who didn't need to be baptized was the one who said, Yes, I need to get baptized so it will fulfill all righteousness. Embrace the message. Repent. Be baptized, and like that little girl who was pleading to her best friend at Cane Ridge, allow God to take away your heart of stone. Allow him to take away your cynicism. Allow him to take away your, your hard shell and let him give you a heart of, of flesh That's soft, tender ready to feel and be compassionate and empathetic even with those people you may not like. Because he can do that. This is still the message, and it's a message of hope. It's a message of love and compassion and truth. But be warned, it is not simply a message. It is a spark that can and will change the landscape of your life. So the question is, I'm going to leave you with how will you respond. How will you share this message? And just like that early church, God has entrusted his believers even still today with this message as well. How will you share? Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day and people in this room. And thank you for allowing us the opportunity to gather in your name freely and openly in defiance of the principalities and the powers of this world who seek to, who seek our downfall help us lord not to contribute to that downfall with our judgment with our condemnation with our back talk help us not to con, not to contribute lord help us to be open lord wise innocent Hopeful and expectant that you will and can do amazing, impossible things. Lord, we are your servants. Hear our hearts. In those moments when we we repent, Lord, we ask that you continue to forgive us. Help us to be your people, both here and in forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. And uh, if you need prayer, if you need help repenting, if you need help just with... Whatever, we have men and women around the room. We would love to just pray you through whatever you need. Take this opportunity as we sing.